Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. children really need to hear their parents talk about their faith Uh, so as as you allow the word of god to shape you bring that into ordinary conversations and i think sometimes we allow children to interrupt us rather than saying actually my primary relationship is with my father in heaven he is my first love Hello, this is the Faith in Parents podcast. We hope that this is a podcast for Christian parents to understand the normal business of raising their children to know Christ, to encourage you, to help you to persevere, to give you a few insights and to give you a hand along the way. Uh, I'm joined today by Sandy, who is in Sydney, Australia. That is one of the joys of lockdown. These sorts of conversations can happen more easily. Sandy, just tell us... uh, Whereabouts are you? Who are you? All of the things you normally do at the start of an interview. I'm Sandy Galea. I'm married to Ray Galea. We have three adult children, a beautiful daughter-in-law, and three wonderful grandchildren um, who I get the privilege of picking up after school tomorrow in preschool. So one of the joys of life. Um, um, My husband and I, we started um, a church in our home 30 years ago. Uh, at MBM uh, in the western suburbs of Sydney. MBM stands for the Multicultural Bible Ministry. Um, And, uh, yeah, so we've uh, been at the One Church for 30 years um, and still loving it. And, uh, yeah, it's our home. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Uh, and Sandy, you have um, led children's ministry in your church for a long time, as well as being a mother and a grandmother. Presumably those two parts of your life are related in that to some degree, you know, t- teaching children pe- and partnering with parents in church is a sort of uh, outworking of being a mum. Is, is how, how have you thought about how those two parts of your life relate to each other? Well, essentially... Um... Uh, what we're doing in kids' ministry in church is equipping and encouraging, because a lot of it is just encouraging, uh, people who are discipling kids. And uh, the largest number of people in our churches who are discipling children are parents. Um, And so uh, 
being in kids ministry means that, you know, I as a parent am encouraging me as a parent to disciple my kid. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of self-talk there. <laughs> um, but essentially it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey on what does it mean to actually talk the things of God with children? What does it mean to open scriptures with children? What does it mean to pray with children for children and teach children to pray? Um, and that happens in the home as well as at church. You know, what does it mean to be a mission-minded mother raising mission-minded kids? What does it mean to be a mission-minded kids leader at church raising, you know, the next generation of mission-minded kids? Like there's, there's, a, there's yeah, I, I don't see a distinction between the two. I just see the context is different. So what we're doing is exactly the same because we, you know, we as disciples are called to make disciples and uh, the fastest growing number of disciples in our church are our children. They are the most likely age group to say yes to Jesus. Um, stats in the UK are very similar to stats in Australia. Uh, two out of every four adults sitting in church today talk about a significant moment under the age of 11 where they said yes to Jesus. So we're on the mission field. If you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you're in kids' ministry, you're on the front line. Um, and it's very exciting. Sandy, the topic I'd love to talk about today is is just thinking about what is it to be a Christian parent? Uh, and, and maybe the best way to think about this is for someone who is very new to faith. It seems to me it's quite rare you meet a parent who doesn't want the best for their children, who doesn't love their children who doesn't seek to make great decisions and, and self-sacrificial decisions. You know, when, when I think when particularly perhaps I could say you look at mothers, you see a demographic who consistently do what is right for their children, whatever it costs them. If that is the case, how do we get our heads around just the beginning of what it is to be a Christian parent? Well, to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. Look, the best thing you can do for your children is to grow your own faith, uh, to spend time in the Word yourself, uh, to meet with God's people uh, in the local gathering um, when you can gather face-to-face, -face, but do whatever it takes to gather with God's people. Uh, I think if you're a young Christian and a young Christian mum or a young Christian dad, uh, finding that person who's a little bit older than you in the faith, who's got kids who are a little bit older than you that you can talk with, uh, ask them how they're doing, what they're doing, why they're doing, what they're doing, pray with them. Um, but, but, yeah, look, I think the basics are make sure that you're uh, growing your own faith by being in the Word yourself, reading your Bible, uh, entrusting uh, everything to your Father in heaven and then meeting with other Christians who can actually encourage you. I think one of the things is we often don't know what it looks like and as we meet with somebody and we watch them parent, uh, we actually, that's one of the ways that we learn. I remember when I was a very young mum and I was trying to work out how to manage my eldest son's temper tantrums he was at that classic age, and I watched a mum who was a who was on her third child. She was, you know, older than me. She had child number three, who was at a similar stage, and I and I just watched her manage her son's temper tantrums. And she never 
lost her temper with her son. She never tried to control her son. She never berated her son in public, but she was very firm and she was and she spoke to him not publicly but quietly. I just watched her how she managed it. And I thought, and I learned a lot just from being around another mum who had a child who was going through temper tantrums. And I watched her calmly uh, but gently set boundaries around her son um, and help him manage the explosion of um, emotion that was there. Um, And that's what the body of Christ is there for. Where there, you know, older women teach younger women, older men teach younger men. And there's a lot of experience out there in our church family. And, uh, yeah, uh, getting to know uh, people and making yourself vulnerable, saying, look, I'm really struggling with this, with my two-year-old, with my seven-year-old, with my 13-year-old. Can you give me any uh, advice? What was it like for you going through that age with your child? Can you just make the link for us? How does it follow that if I close my door open my Bible in private, pray to my loving Heavenly Father. Uh, What is the link you're making with them? What happens with my children when I step out my little bedroom? Well, God's Word always hits its mark. And so if you're opening the Word of God, then the Word of God is transforming your heart. And so as it transforms your heart and makes you, uh, you know, transforms your heart and makes you, I want to be more, you know, mission-minded as in brave to speak about your faith to other, to your neighbour, for example. Your children are watching you take that step of bravery. As as you open your Bible and you see that generosity, giving, is actually a gift and uh, God's people give generously. And as you sort of allow the Word of God to shape your attitude to your material, uh, you know, possessions to your money to your budget your children are watching you and I think one of the things is uh, a wise parent will in invite age appropriately kids into that space hey kids you know I've just been reading um, uh, about being bold uh, with my faith and uh, I've been praying that God will give me opportunities uh, to to speak about Jesus and I'm really scared but, you know, and then just seeing what God will do with that. Uh, I think children really need to hear their parents talk about their faith. Uh, so as as you allow the word of God to shape you, uh, you, you then bring that into ordinary conversations. I, I, I remember reading about, I can't remember what great, English preacher it was but he when he was a child he was one of many children and his mother um uh you you know it to indicate to her children that she was spending time in prayer with her father in heaven she would put a tea towel over her head in the middle of the kitchen so that there was like 11 12 kids eight, something like that it was ca- like chaos in the kitchen but all the children knew you do not interrupt mum talking to her father in heaven And that was such a beautiful thing, the priority of prayer. And I think sometimes we allow children to interrupt us rather than saying, actually, my primary relationship is with my Father in heaven. He is my first love. And children, I love you, but he is my first love. And uh, helping children to see that to love God is to love him with all your heart, soul and mind. 
So not making children, um, it's really easy to think, I love my children, you put them on a pedestal and you turn children into a God. No person was ever meant to be turned into a God, not your husband, not your children. And so by actually saying, I'm going to spend time reading my Bible, I'm going to spend time praying uh, on my knees for my children, for my own growth as a Christian, then that will have an outworking in terms of your family culture. Thank you. Sandy, there is, there is a problem with what you're talking about, which is that children live with you. Yes, they do. They see you what's and all. <laughs> they do. Uh, we're all thinking, I totally get this bit, Sandy, and, and it's a thrilling idea that they will learn from your better moments and better conversations. Tell me what we think, Sandy, about them learning from our worst moments. How is this going to work itself out? I think when, like, when I look back at my Christian life, it is the darkest times and my worst times where I have grown to depend on God the most. So when my pride has been exposed and shattered, uh, when I've been in deep grief and loss, uh, that's where God has done an enormous work in my heart. So I think as Christian parents, not being afraid of the um, of of not trying to cover up sin because you're not going to be able to do it in your home. Your kids are going to see that hypocrisy. They're going to see um, I, um, they they're going to see your mistakes. They're going to see your you know you say one thing and do another. They're going to see all that. But I think if children children can. Uh, cope if parents are real with it and by real I mean uh, children learn heaps from us in terms of what it means to be a Christian saved by grace who constantly goes to their father in heaven and saying God I'm going to own my sin and I ask for forgiveness um, and live as a forgiven child of God and so I think with children uh, one of the things is learning to apologize to your children and learning to apologize well and understanding that that's actually part of growing growing their understanding of what it means to live as a child of God. Um, the best thing you can do uh, as, as a Christian parent is to be real and own up to your sin with your children and apologise to them. Um, and also being able to, you know, like I, I so remember the time we had um, uh, the kids were in the back and uh, I lost it with them, you know, just like I was not having a great day and I was yelling at them and then all of a sudden the front door went and somehow magically, you know, between the back of the house and the front of the house, I managed to control that anger that I didn't control with my children but I managed to control it and I was all smiles at the front door. And then it just left a really ugly taste in my mouth and I'm thinking I've just been yelling at my kids and yet they've been able to see me control my temper and be really polite and well-mannered to the person at the front door and so I immediately went back and I called all my kids out of the bedroom and I sat down and I said I was wrong my anger was wrong I should not have lost it with you um yeah and so it's it's actually learning to go actually that's a real teaching moment for kids in understanding that uh, we you know, this side of glory, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be struggling with sin. And the first thing we need to do is own our sin 
and apologise for what we need to apologise for. If parenting is a sort of 24-7 training programme, then we dare to imagine that, that, that they, they learn from the Christian in their most inspired moments, but they also learn from the Christian parent in the lowest moments. And your argument is perhaps even they are most struck by how we cope with the lowest moments. That is when a Christian is a Christian for moments like these. Yeah. And it's not just when, you know, you've lost it. There's a lot of suffering and persecution. So they learn they learn in terms of the pains of life. Um, you know, the the parable of the soil, well, what kills faith? It's actually when persecution comes. It's when, um, you know, we worry about things um, and worry chokes our faith or it's when um, wealth and greed and money chokes our faith. They're the things that are, are highlighted in that parable. And so if we think in terms of um, as a parent, my job is to actually prepare my kids for suffering because it's going to come to prepare my kids for persecution because it's going to come and to prepare my kids for the 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 um, the choking um, uh, stranglehold that materialism will, will grab onto them and it's to prepare my children for an uncertain future. And uh, last year and this year kids are experiencing it in waves, this uncertainty of am I going to school, am I staying at home, you know, um, uh, who's sick, who's not sick. So there's, we're living in a very uncertain world, but we've always lived in a very uncertain world. You know, tomorrow's promised to no one. Only God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And so as we think in terms of raising kids with robust faith, we need to actually address these things. And I always say, you know, um, you don't start talking to your kids about the stranglehold that money will have on you when they get their first paycheck as an adult, you actually begin as soon as they get pocket money. Um, and one of the things we developed for the parents in our church was um, a tool called Money for God. Um, and it's just a, a tool to actually help parents to help their children think theologically about money and to learn not when they're an adult to learn to be generous and to give to mission both locally and globally but actually learn as children the joy of giving. Um, it's like, um, you know, we don't wait until our children are sexually mature or sexually active to teach them about sex. We actually learn, uh, you know, as children begin to ask questions about their body and about how babies are born. It's a, it's a conversation that spreads over years, not a, an hour conversation that a parent has once in their life with a child. And so with all of these things into in preparing them for a world that thinks very differently about money, thinks very differently about sex, thinks very differently about, um, you know, uh, conformity and, and all sorts of issues, we're constantly preparing our children um, to face a world that is hostile to Christianity. Sandy, if we're, um, if we're thinking about someone who has just come to faith, or if we feel about someone who, who feels vulnerable and and you've you've highlighted these last this last 12 months has been a time when most of us have discovered we don't have it within ourselves um and then and then you have listed a list of complex issues that 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 take all of us a lifetime to work through how do we teach from when we don't understand 
because I think that's a it's a difficulty for a parent to say I don't know. And if we if that's the answer to the question, there's probably a whole heap of conversations that we just don't want to go near because we don't know where to start. Do you have advice for us in the in you know the areas you've just highlighted are great ones: money, sex, suffering, persecution. Where do we go as a parent? I mean, the beautiful thing is that children don't come with all of those questions all at the same time. They usually come and uh, and they're usually only asking, you know, bite-sized bits of information. And so the younger child, you know, uh, I remember the classic um, uh, story I heard of a, a boy who came home uh, and he said, Dad, where am I from? And his dad spent an hour talking to him about the birds and the bees. <laughs> and uh, at the end of the conversation, the, the little boy said, yeah, Dad, I know all that, but where am I from? Because Jimmy is from, you know, Moree. Where am I from? So he's completely <laughs> misread the question. Um, but children have real answers to real questions and uh, sometimes as adults we've stopped asking the questions that our children are asking. Um, and so sometimes they ask very complex questions or highly, you know, lots of uh, philosophical questions that we haven't really thought through. And if you're a young Christian and you don't know the answer to that, affirm the question and say, that is an excellent question and I'm going to keep thinking about that. I'm going to um, read, I'm going to talk to some people at church and, uh, and you know, uh, keep, keep the question alive. Uh, the other thing is to... Uh, to ask the child, you know, they come to the parent because they the parent is always seen as the expert up until a certain age and then parents are not experts in anything. Um, but up until a certain age, you know, the sun, moon and sh stars shine out of every parent and their parents are the source of all knowledge. And uh, for children, it's really good for for you to have a, a conversation. Sometimes if you if a child comes and asks you a question and you give the answer, you've actually shut the conversation down. Um, and But what you want to do is encourage dialogue. So they ask you a question, you know, um, my friend at school says the world began with a big bang. What do you think, Mummy? What do you think, Daddy? And then just saying, well, what do you think? What have you, what have you learnt? What, you know, what have you heard about how the world began? And so then you throw it back to the child and then you find out what pieces of information they understand, what it is from Scripture that they've heard and understood, whether, whether they've been shaped by what they're hearing at school and then going back and saying, well, let's have a look. Uh, we know that, you know, Genesis chapter 1 begins with in the beginning, so let's have a read and, and allow the, the Word of God to shape the, the conversation. Now, that depends on the age of the child, but um, but constantly the best thing you can do for children is to be taking them back and allowing Scripture to shape their worldview for Scripture to be giving them the answers. And if you as a young Christian don't know where to go in the Bible to find those answers, uh, you, as a parent, you don't need to have all the answers on tap all the time. I think sometimes we shut down questions from kids because it might expose that we don't know the answer to it from the Bible or we don't know the answer as a Christian. Um, but the good thing is just keeping the conversation open and saying that's an excellent question, let's investigate that and let's try and find out the answer to that question and let's think about it. Um, but I think as, as, as Christian parents, uh, it's 
that whole thing, like the the way I encourage my parents uh, in at church to read the Bible, is that you most of the time we think I have to be an adult, and uh, as the adult, I read the Bible and I ask kids questions, and I have to know the answer to every question I ask the children because they're going to give me the answer back from the Bible. And most parents get scared, going, "I don't know my Bible well enough in order to teach it to children." Um, and so then they don't actually open the Bible and read it with, with to children. But what I suggest is that you find a good Bible that's age appropriate for your children. You read the Bible story, and then all you do is every person in the family answers the one question. And the question is, what do you like about that story? And then Dad says, you know, I like the fact that, you know, when 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 Jesus, um, you know, said to that man, get up and walk, it was immediate. He got up and walked. And mom might say, I love the fact that Jesus knew what everyone was thinking in the room. How amazing is Jesus? And then the child says, you know, I love this and I love that. So it's not like you have to have the answer, but what you're doing is you're helping children to see the impact of that particular story in Mark 2, what you love about it and what you love about Jesus in the story. And uh, and by doing that, you don't need to, you know, have gone to Bible college and done a theological degree to teach your children. All you're doing is taking them to Scripture and helping them to reflect and see the wonder of who God is in the story. Um, and and it's it's just as simple as that. If you keep it simple, you're more likely to do it on a regular basis. Um, and children need short, sharp ten minutes every day rather than an hour professional family Bible study once a week um, but you know some people actually do that they love they love the Friday night you know two hours family devotion um, I'm not saying it's wrong but I but I think the best thing you can do as parents is keep it as simple as possible and just allow the word of God to be open and talk about what, what we're actually learning what is the joy of being a Christian parent particularly at the moment I mean I certainly personally feel in lockdown there's not much joy to be had there's a lot of um yeah it's being locked within a confined space um yes there's a lot of stress and strain and pressure uh, on families at the moment I think the joy is constantly seeing these children are not mine they've been entrusted to me they're on loan and they're only my children uh, up until the end of my life they're not my children for eternity in in uh, eternity, my son becomes my brother, my daughter becomes my sister. And so I think one of the joys is, uh, I'm, I'm now speaking as a grandparent, is spending time in their formative years where talking the things of God, praying with my children and them praying with me, and being able to read the Bible and it to be a natural part of our family life, then as you go through teenage years and into adulthood, if those children have owned their faith for themselves, then it's the most wonderful thing because we we don't stop talking ever about the thing that is most precious to us, and that is our Father in heaven, our relationship with God. So that's a huge joy. The other joy, I think, is um, uh, so. It, 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 uh, on the flip side of that is the sadness when 
children don't say yes to Jesus. Um, and so there is a, an angst and a grief for that child or grandchildren. Um, I, but I think on the flip side of that, in that angst uh, all the way through, I have been entrusted with these children but these children are not mine. They are my father in heaven and I never do this journey alone. So in the highs and the lows of parenting, um, my father in heaven has been there as I've cried out to him, give me wisdom. I, you know, I failed my kids today. I feel like, and it's it's going to damage them for life. Uh, please forgive me, you know, or um, you know, I'm so worried about the decisions that they've made. I'm so worried about the influence of that particular friendship. God, please protect them. And I think uh, as much as we think we've got control as parents, uh, you journey long enough as a parent, you realise that you have very limited control. And if you're a Christian, then you're entrusting your children to the one who has absolute control. And what a relief that is. And it's so different as a Christian parent to journey through life because you journey it not alone. You journey it with the father, you know, the the God of the universe, who loves your children much more than you will ever love them. That's such a joy. I don't, I don't know, I don't know how I could have been a parent without God. Thank you, Sandy. Sandy, uh, remind us how long have you been uh, working for a church as a children's director? Uh, Thirty years. 30 years. Started teaching kids when I was 15. You would even say since 15, constantly, you have been involved in uh, teaching children of Jesus. Yeah. Good for you. If nothing else, Sandy, that is an encouragement for us to push our teenagers into classes with children, isn't it? Is that still the case, do you think? Look, I think um, one of the things as a parent is really important that, um, and this has come out like there's been a lot of research in that, it as uh, you know, as a parent, my husband and I, we are the primary shepherds of our kids. Um, and so uh, if we're abdicating that to the church, then we're ripping our kids off, you know, in terms of they, they really need to see, um, you know, they need to hear us talk about our faith, talk about our struggles. They need to, you know, uh, uh, we need to be open about that in the home. But my children need more than Ray and I. They actually need a community of believers. And so they need significant people in their life who are also sharing about their faith and their journey, their ups and their downs. And I remember there was one uh, youth leader who poured into our son for six years. He was James's youth group leader and uh, he would run a small group with James. He would teach him at youth group. And then when he was in about year nine, so for us that's around 14 years of age, he used to come early in the morning and they'd have breakfast together in the front room and they'd read the Bible for an hour before he went to work. And so this young adult poured into our son and uh, and as a result, um, yeah, at, at James's 18th and his 21st, Ray, when he was doing his speeches, made a special mention of Kevin because we re- we felt like he was the third parent uh, for our son because he had so shared his love of Jesus and so spent so much time with our son um, to the point where when my son got married, he was one of the groomsmen. So he had long-term 
for six years, he just loved and taught the Bible and shared his love of Jesus with our son. And it's had lasting input. It's like James is the man he is today because of Kevin. Yeah. And so finding, you only find that in your local church community. Uh, Godly, older Christian men or Christian women who are going to pour into their children. And children need people of multiple generations. They need the senior saints in your church. They need the young adults in your church. They need they need all generations to actually pour into them and share their faith. That's why we do community. That's what the Church of God is. We meet together to encourage each other and all the more as the day approaches. Um, and your children need the local church just as much as you need the local church. So you're going to love your kids, then the church gathering, when you when we can gather, is got to be at the centre of your calendar of every Christian parent's calendar and nothing stops that except when you're sick. My dad, <laughs> I don't know if I've told you this story, but my dad, my parents were both teachers, um, but really they understood the priority of the local gathering. And so growing up in a Christian home, Bible was taught, my parents prayed with me, we went to church and I remember I was in primary school, so I would have been about nine years of age, and we travelled all the way from country south of two hours south of Sydney, where we in country town, we travelled all the way to Sydney, and then we travelled back. And we got home at about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, uh, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. And uh, we were all asleep in the back seat. My dad pulled into our driveway and he woke us up and he said these words Sleep in tomorrow morning. I'll bring you breakfast in bed. We're not going to church. And I turned to my sister and I said, but we're not sick. Because, <laughs> like, we just went to church. Like, you know, my parents weren't the minister of the church, but they just taught us that you just went to church because that was the centre of the week. That's where the, that's where the, you know, God chooses to be with his people as they gather. And, uh, you know, there was only... Two reasons why you didn't go, oh, three reasons why you didn't go to church. Um, one, you know, you're on holidays, but for us, we didn't go to the local church, we went to the church where we're, when we were at holidays. So we still went to the, the local church wherever we were. But you were either sick or you were dead. And that were the only two reasons why you didn't go to church. <laughs> so you have to tell us, Sandy, why did your dad say you weren't going to church? Ah, well, he just, we got home so late. It was like, it was such a shock. I've never, like my dad... We always went to church um, and it was only because we drove in one uh, 12 midnight, like one o'clock in the morning and he knew that everyone was exhausted and he said, we're going to sleep in tomorrow, we're not going to church. So I think, I think the thing that I remember about that story is that as I look at families today, I wonder if you woke you told your children, sleep in tomorrow morning, we're not going to church, whether your children would be shocked like I was shocked. Um, because I think families so often, there's so many things that compete for Sunday morning. Um, and, you know, there's the, the the kid who's run their birthday party. I don't want my child to miss out, so we won't go to church, my child will go to the birthday party. There's this competitive sport team that I want my child to get in, so I'm going to say no to the local gathering, I'm going to get my let my child do this. Uh, there's a dance concert. I'm going to say no to going to the local gathering because my child really loves dance. Um, and uh, 
and I'm so grateful. My parents were really, my dad was sporty. Like my grandfather repped Australia in Union. Like I come from, I'm not sporty, but all my family's sporty, my brother, my sister. I come from an extremely sporty family. We grew up on the coast. We had seven beaches to choose from in Kayama. We lived in a most beautiful place. There were so many things that could have distracted us from going to church on a Sunday morning. My parents loved camping. We would go bushwalking. So, you know, they there was lots of things that could have distracted us as a family from making the Sunday gathering an optional extra in our calendar. But my parents knew the priority of gathering with the local people, you know, God's local people, and they said no to all of these things. And uh, they they taught me the priority of the local gathering, and I'm so grateful for that for that because. I happen to be married to a minister, but I would be going to church every Sunday except if I was sick, regardless of being married to Ray or not, because my, my parents taught me that that's the priority as a Christian. And that is a great place to start as a new Christian. If, uh, if, we've, if we don't understand much about living the Christian life, a great principle is lean into the church. You'll find help there. You will find help. And you can also use your gifts to serve. See, um, what's going to grow your faith? Being in the Word and actually using your gifts to serve. And where can you serve in the local church? So you want to start serving? Get your, you know, talk to your children, right, we're not going to get to church on time. We're going to get to church 15 minutes early because we want to be the family that actually is there to welcome the new family that might walk through the door. And we're going to pray on the way to church about that new family that we're going to welcome. See, there's a simple thing to do as a as a family, as a mission minded family. Sandy, Sandy, just tell us you um you have decided um for for various reasons that now it's a time to train up others, and you've you've launched some initiatives from Sydney. But the wonder of technology is that people in the UK and, and anywhere in the world could benefit. Can you just walk us through what you're doing, how you're doing it, and maybe even why you're doing it? In 2014, I started KidsWise, which was aimed really the resources that we developed, allowing them to be used by other churches. But as time went on, the training that I did within my local church, both with my parents and my leaders, um, I began to open up. And so in stepping down from being the kids ministry director after 30 years, my aim is to actually grow that and to um, to be able to uh, help both parents as well as leaders to know what it means to actually open scriptures, disciple kids from the heart, um, surround them in prayer and show them Jesus. And so uh, this year we're, we're, we're launching a whole stack of things. Um, I've been doing consultancy with people in um, church ministry about how to grow effective um uh, children's ministries that reach both parents and leaders. But this year I'm starting a masterclass for those people who are overseeing kids' ministries. Um, you could be like me. I've been doing this voluntary for 30 years, so you could be a volunteer. Um, I, I, but it's if you've got the level of responsibility, like you're overseeing the, the children's ministry within a church, whether you're paid, unpaid, full-time, part-time, then a KidsWise Masterclass might be for you. And there's a class for people who've got less than four years experience and those people who've got more than four years experience. But essentially it's trying to help them to uh, not just survive children's ministry but thrive. Uh, and the other is to grow in understanding how to, you know, grow in terms of depth and reach their children's ministry. So 
that's the masterclass. Um, the other thing we're doing is um, putting some training online, which will come through in about May. So the conference that I'm doing for the local church and the Sydney area in a couple of weeks' time will eventually, it, come May, hope to have that online. So there'll be the opportunity where you can sit down and that conference is for the whole church together. Like what we're doing in March, it's really for parents and people in children's ministry, your leaders, your teams to come together and to watch a few videos and to do some exercises and think about the implications of Jesus' invitation, you know, let the children come to me for to, and do not hinder them for to such belongs the children of God. And it's really taking that sentence, that powerful sentence of Jesus and unpacking what are the implications for us as parents and as uh, children's um, leaders in kids' church, Sunday school, um, whatever structures that we have in our children's ministry. Sandy, I, I just love to tell our listeners what it what it is, Sandy, that strikes me about your ministry is how hard you work to train up volunteers, the parents in your churches, the teenagers in your churches. You, you work very hard to create passionate teams who do the children's ministry so you're not doing it. I think that's what strikes me, and presumably that's what's behind this masterclass, is you're wanting to create the trainers of leaders. Yeah. When our church was small, see, I've always loved teaching kids. I've got people on my staff today who I saw come to faith as children. It's 30 years of just doing that. Who's the next person I'm going to bring in, disciple, equip, and get them to step into discipling this group of kids? And it's very slow. If you want to see many kids, one for Christ, you're going to need an army of volunteers to disciple them in your churches um, but don't ever forget that your greatest army is your parents there. And my biggest regret is that I didn't pour into my parents more uh, because of the because of pouring into my volunteers. That's the balance. Yeah. Do you think you could pray for those parents that the Lord would pour His Spirit into them? Father God, we we thank you for the gift of children for every child that has been entrusted to us as parents or grandparents, and for every child that's been entrusted to our church family. Father, each one of them is a gift that you have given to us. Father, they are loved by you. They are precious to you. Father, may we, whatever we say, whatever we do, that we may not hinder these little ones in coming to Jesus. Father, when we do fail, and we will, help us to own our sin and to apologise well. Father, we pray that uh, kids would see Jesus in us that they would see our love for him, that they would see that he, we are putting him first, that we are following him, and that as they see that, uh, that they too may entrust themselves to Jesus. May they follow him all the days of their life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sandy, very, very much. If you've enjoyed listening to Sandy Galea, then please do go back to our podcast back catalogue and you'll find at episode 15, uh, more than a year ago, Sandy and I did two podcasts in Exeter. That's where we were sat. So uh, why don't you go back to those if you've enjoyed these? Sandy is always great to listen to. Sandy, in the show notes, we'll put all the details of how we can uh, contact you, make the most of the resources you're offering. Thank you very much and enjoy the sunshine in Australia while we enjoy the snow. Thank you. Thanks for having me. See you. Bye-bye. Just before you go, thank you so much for listening. 
my name's Rachel and I'm fairly new to the Faith in Kids team. Just a quick shout out that we've produced a book, Meals with Jesus. Ed's written a collection of 10-minute family devotions that explore Jesus' character through nine meals he shares in Luke's Gospel. Maybe now is the time to build new habits for your family through lockdown. This book is to help you have a go at reading the Bible with your kids, maybe for your first ever family Bible time. Meals with Jesus has separate questions for different age groups, so the whole family can enjoy looking at the Bible together. As you read these passages, your children will be transported to the dinner table alongside Jesus, seeing for themselves who Jesus really is and why they can trust him. You can either download the ebook or order a print copy by heading to thegoodbook.co.uk or thegoodbook.com and search Meals with Jesus. Jesus.